What's up, everybody? We're back on the Believe in Nets podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, your one-stop shop for everything happening across the sports and entertainment world. I'm your host, Eric Slater, Brooklyn Nets beat reporter for ClutchPoints.com. The Nets picked up two good wins over Washington and Toronto since our last episode, and they came into Friday's matchup with the Celtics, winners of seven of their last nine and four straight. And this had the feel of a test, this game, sort of a litmus test for this new-look Brooklyn team on a recent hot stretch. The Celtics were a league best. 18 and 5 heading in, and they showed that Brooklyn still has a ways to go before they're even considered in that top tier of teams. Boston took down the Nets 103 92. And this is a game where the Nets actually played really well defensively against the best offense in the league. The Celtics came into this game with a 120.7 offensive rating. That's the best in NBA history. And Brooklyn held them to 43% shooting. They allowed 13 points in the third quarter. That's a season low in any quarter for the Celtics. And Boston's 103 points were their second least in any game this season. But on a night where they brought it themselves defensively, the Nets were just overwhelmed against Boston's long, athletic cast of defenders, as we saw in that first-round sweep at the hands of the Celtics in last year's playoffs. And the 92 points that the Nets scored were a season low for Brooklyn. They shot 34 of 84. That's 40% from the field. They scored 42 second-half points. Just terrible. And they started out on an 11-2 run in this game, but they followed it up by giving up a 14-0 run to the Celtics from which they would never look back. And really, that was just bad transition offense by the Nets, turnovers, poor shot selection, and obviously Jalen Brown explodes, goes 5-5 five of five from three in the first quarter to give the Celtics that lead from which they would hold for the rest of the game. And from that point on, the Nets would not be able to find anything offensively outside of Kevin Durant. And as always, talking about the offense, we start with KD, 31 points, 7 rebounds, 5 assists, 13 of 24 shooting, just 1 of 5 from 3. But KD, you know, he struggled a little bit early on in this game. He started getting going as his game went on. And then in the third quarter, he really popped off. As I said, the Nets held Boston to 13 points, but they were only able to muster up 19 of their own. And 12 of those 19 came from Kevin Durant. And as we saw him really start to get going, the Celtics made the move down the stretch and into that fourth quarter to start to double him. They didn't double him for the first three quarters, as they did often throughout the playoffs. They chose to guard him straight up. He was getting the ball in the post. He was getting comfortable looks. He was knocking them down as the game progressed. And then they went to the doubles, and KD really struggled to navigate that defense in the fourth quarter. They forced him into eight tur- forced him into eight turnovers total, four turnovers in the fourth quarter. And now some of those are his fault, a little loose with the ball as we saw in those playoffs got stripped a couple times, but some of those are also a product of his shooters and his supporting cast, not getting respect or just being hesitant to even let it fly when they have open looks that as an NBA perimeter player, you need to just take Jock Vaughn touched on that. Got a quick soundbite from him right now. Overall, we have to take advantage when teams double team. Um, if you're going to send a second guy at our best player, then we got to make you pay for it. Once we swing, swing that thing and it gets to the second guy, you got to shoot it. So they were able to close out on more than a couple occasions where they double team, still were able to close out on our shooters. Can't allow that to happen. So the supporting cast just not doing what it needs to do. I'll start with Kyrie Irving. I'm not going to lump him into the rest of this group. He had a poor game, but he wasn't hesitant like a lot of other players were. But Kyrie, 18 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists, 7 of 21 shooting, really struggled to find the touch, 1 of 5 from 3. And Kyrie, this has been a theme against this Boston team aside from Game 1 where he popped off at TD Garden in last year's playoffs. He's really been overwhelmed and not been able to get as high a quality look and as comfortable looks as he used to 
as he's used to against other defenses. And he said in his postgame press, press conference, I didn't see anything different when asked if there was anything different defensively from Boston from last year's first round into this game. He said, they're packing the paint. They're keying on our drives. They're forcing us to kick it out. And that's true. But Kyrie is also getting forced into a lot of difficult mid-range shots that he wasn't able to convert on. So not a great game for Kyrie by any stretch. I mean, it wasn't an awful game, but as the number two player on this team, they're going to need a lot more for him. And as an undersized guard, we know Kyrie is one of the most talented scorers of all time and can do things with the basketball in his hands that no other players can do. But against a team that's as long, as athletic, as rangy as the Celtics. All of those moves are really difficult, and Kyrie can do it. We've seen him do it, but it's not easy, and it's something that against the defense of this caliber, the difficult looks that you're you know, accustomed to taking already are only going to get more and more difficult, and you're really just going to have to be a next-level shot maker against a team if you're Kyrie size and trying to play offense the way that he does. So not a great game for Kyrie. But now moving on to the rest of the supporting cast, Joe Harris was the only player outside of the stars that really provided anything offensively. He had 13 points, five of 10 shooting. He continued his hot streak from three, three of five on the night. He's 12 of 18 now in his last four games. So really nice to see Joe start to get that streak, that touch going from the outside after an extended cold streak. But down the stretch, you saw him disappear. And the offense for Joe right now is coming from just threes. And we've seen Joe Harris in the past. He's never been a great mid-range scorer by any or even good for that matter, but it's completely disappeared. I mean, Joe has no mid-range game whatsoever this year. And on top of that, when he's going to the rim, it feels like 90% of Joe Harris's drives have gotten swatted this season. I touched on that. Uh, I tweeted it out during the game, but Joe Harris, people forget that. I think it was the 2019-2020 season. He was, or it might've been 2020-2021. He was one of the best finishers at the rim in the entire NBA. He was finishing at something like a 74% clip when he was driving to the basket. But this year, he just has no lift. And I don't know if that's a product of his legs. Obviously, he didn't get to play in the offseason. He's spoken about it at length after undergoing that offseason ankle surgery. Maybe the legs and the strength just isn't there. But he's not generating contact and finishing around players the way we're used to. Because Joe Harris, you know, throughout his early years with the Nets, it may not, it may be a little surprising, but he actually has a pretty decent layup package. Usually we've seen Joe go to the basket, finish over people, finish on nice up and unders, nice corkscrew reverses, but he hasn't been doing that this year. He's really just been driving, not creating contact or separation, not getting any lift. And that's a bad, bad recipe when you're driving into the trees and especially some of the more athletic players that Boston has on this defense. So Joe Harris, Good game early on was three of three from three in the first half, but limited to that three-point shot right now and faded down the stretch as a result. But still, he gave more than anybody else in the supporting cast gave. And moving on to where the problems really were, Royce O'Neal had a really, really rough night. Six points, four rebounds, four assists, two of 12 shooting and two of eight from three. And Royce is, he's been up and down all season, but he's really starting to really cool off and have some difficulties up three from three after an extended hot stretch. He's seven of 26. That's just 26.9% from deep in his last five games. And the hesitancy from Royce on some of these plays 
is what really has made it difficult. And obviously, I've talked about it. I talked about it on the last episode. Royce is sometimes, due to the Nets' just lack of creators, especially with Ben Simmons out, is being asked to do more than he's accustomed to doing in terms of creation. And he's actually done a good job with it. I think from a playmaking standpoint, he's done a really good job this year. And for the year, he's shooting well from three. As I just said, seven of 26 over his last five games. I think he's still at 40% from the year, but he's very he's inconsistent. I, I said it on the last podcast. With Royce, you're either getting a really good game or you're getting a game where he completely disappears and kinds of fades. There's not a lot of the middle ground, but like I said, he he's done some good things, you know, facilitating, creating a playmaking on his own. But we've seen he's had his struggles driving to the basket. He's not converting there. He has even less of a mid-range game than Joe Harris has, just nothing in that regard. And from three, he was not hitting his shots in this game, and he was overly hesitant down the stretch when the Nets really needed somebody outside of Kevin Durant to do something. So nothing from Royce O'Neal. And then you go to the bench, Seth Curry, zeros across the board. I think he had one rebound, but he missed his only shot attempt. He picked up I think four fouls in his first three minutes or something ridiculous along those lines. And it's really been a rough stretch for Seth after that 29 point performance in Portland, where we saw him just completely pop off. He has nine points in his last four games. He's three of 14 from the field. He's one of six from three. And I think a product of that is a lot of these teams that we've seen the Nets play as of late are longer, more athletic defenses. You know, Washington first, they're not a crazy long team, but they have some length. They have some athletic wing defenders. And then you go to Toronto. That's a team completely built on predicated completely on length. And then you go to Boston, obviously, with their rangy athletic defender. It's going to be really tough for a guy like Seth Curry at just six foot two. And he's obviously not where he's not nowhere near a hundred percent of his, you know, physical capabilities right now. It's going to be really tough for him to get shots off offensively. And then to make matters worse, I said he picked up four fouls in three minutes. He's just getting hunted relentlessly on defense, as we saw in the playoffs with numerous guys on this Nets roster against Boston last year. The Nets like to switch a lot. The Celtics are just going to put Seth Curry into actions with Jalen Brown, with Jason Tatum, get them the ball in the post on him. And he really just has no chance to defend these guys without fouling. So that's why you saw him you know, get taken out early with the foul troubles. He came back in, you know, committed another foul, got taken out again, played only 14 minutes, took one shot, had no chance to get in a rhythm. And that's the way it's going to be with Seth Curry. And he's supposed to be the leader of this bench scoring unit right now. And you get a complete zero from him. And then you move on to another undersized guard and Cam Thomas had eight points on one of five shooting, only one assist, but four of those eight points came in garbage time. So really it's only four points. And Cam, just did not have a good first half continuing a stretch of pretty poor play and just low IQ all around play from a kid who's, you know, he's only 20 years old, 21 years old. So it's to be expected. But if he's going to try to get a spot in this rotation, I touched on it to end my last episode, how difficult it's going to be for him to do that with the area that the areas that he struggles in terms of shot selection, three point shooting and defense and the Nets, the areas that the Nets are struggling as a team, which happen to be those same areas. It's going to be tough for him to solidify himself in this Nets rotation. And Jock Vaughn over these last few games has really been making it a point to try to get Cam in the rotation and give him an opportunity. And he has not made the most of it. It's been a really rough stretch. And as I said, the shot selection is just really bad. I mean, it seems like when Cam's going to the basket, he has some tunnel vision. He misses a lot of guys. There was one play in this game 
that was just absolutely brutal. We saw in the Nets last win that Cam Thomas, he got the ball on one of these fast breaks. I think it was off a steal. And he took a pull-up three early in the shot clock when the Nets had like a three-on-one or something along those lines. Just an awful shot. And then in this game on one of the plays, he gets a pick and roll. The Celtics switch Peyton Pritchard onto Kevin Durant, which is exactly what you know you would ever want is the Nets to get um, Kevin Durant on probably the only undersized defensive liability on the entire Celtics roster. And Cam looks him off and takes a step back three early in the shot clock. And it's a one and done for the Nets. And those are just the possessions where that cannot happen. And it happens far too much with Cam Thomas. And it makes it really difficult to have him on the floor. And I said it in the last game. I tweeted out that Cam Thomas, he'll get the ball in open threes. He's not a good three-point shooter. Shot, I think, 32% in college. Shot 27% with the Nets in his rookie season. And he'll get the ball on some of these swings or some of these actions and kickouts where he's wide open from three and he won't take it and he'll try to drive into the mid-range. And then he gets the ball up top sometimes and tries to take these difficult step-back threes. So it's like he passes up the easy looks to take the really difficult looks. And it just doesn't seem like there's a feel for the game offensively. And for a team against the Celtics, Cam Thomas, he's you know 6'2", 6'3", probably, I'd say, going to have a really tough time going into the teeth of the Celtics defense and finishing as are most of the Nets undersized guards. So you need to be able to space the floor at a minimum offensively to have a chance to give Kevin Durant, to give Kyrie Irving, like Kyrie Irving said, they're packing the paint, forcing kickouts. You need shooters out there to even give those guys a chance. And a guy in Cam Thomas who right now will not shoot the three-point shot, will not, you know, is not making high IQ decisions with the ball in his in his hands himself. He's not really offering much there. And to make matters worse, his defense has never been good. It continues to not be good. And the Celtics, you know, it's it's a difficult matchup for him all around. So Cam Thomas, not a good game going along the theme of undersized guards with him and Seth Curry. And I'm going to circle back to that later and talk about a whole larger issue with the Nets roster. Uh, last on the bench was TJ Warren, scored four points, two rebounds, grabbed one assist, one of four shooting, had some nice plays early on in the game. And, you know, TJ... Second game back after a near two-year layoff. Really tough matchup against the Celtics. I thought he had some really nice defensive possessions. Had one on Tatum that was just beautiful in the post in isolation, just bodying him, giving him no airspace, and really shut him down. So that's really great to see, and that's really something that I think is going to be big for a Nets team that struggles at the point of attack. Not that he's going to lock down any smaller guards, but just to have another bigger body alongside Royce O'Neal, Joe Harris, and obviously Ben Simmons, to be able to throw at guys in the post, bigger wings who can score like a Jason Tatum, like a Jalen Brown. That's really big. Offensively, didn't get a rhythm going. Doesn't have that three-point shot yet. I think he's only attempted one three in those first two games. Doesn't have it. Has worked into the mid-range, missed some difficult looks, got blocked on a transition uh, opportunity for a layup, which it seems like the whole Nets roster got blocked once or twice in transition. The Celtics defense there was just outstanding, which I'm going to touch on. But you know, not a terrible game for TJ. He's coming back. It's what you expect from him. And it's really tough to be relying on him as a key contributor in a game like this against the Celtics. But it's early on and we'll see where he goes. But as I said, Nets got four non eight non-garbage time points for a piece from TJ Warren and Cam Thomas. Seth Curry goes scoreless. So that's eight points from the entire bench, which is going to be extremely difficult to overcome if you're a Nets team. And then to make matters worse. You're not getting that bench scoring, and Royce O'Neal is just a zero offensively. And there's a few plays that I highlighted on my Twitter. If you go check my Twitter at Eric Slater underscore, I happen to highlight two from Royce. There are plenty of others from other role players, from Seth, from Cam. 
in there. But there are these plays where Kevin Durant is getting doubled or just looking for somebody else to do something offensively. And the ball's making it to Cam, to Royce, and they're hesitating. They're not shooting the threes. Like we talked about on that uh, Jack Vaughn soundbite, what he said, when we get that swing, swing off the double and you get the ball, you got to shoot that thing. And they're not doing it. Royce O'Neal had two. He had one where he was completely wide open on the top of the key off of a double of KD. He hesitated. He looked in what seemed like four directions, threw it back to KD, and KD missed the three. Luckily, TJ Warren was there for a putback. But I'm talking about wide, wide open at the top of the key for Royce O'Neal. Does not take a three. There's another play I put on my Twitter account where Royce gets the ball in the corner off an extra pass from Joe Harris. Al Horford's not giving him the respect. He's playing off of him. As I said before, some of those KD turnovers are from his teammates not getting the respect from three. And Royce O'Neal is a guy who's shooting over 40% from three on the season. You need to give him that respect and you need him to hit those shots if guys play off. But the ball makes its way to him in the corner. He doesn't take it. He gives it back to Kevin Durant at the top of the key. And then Royce goes through the wing and Kyrie Irving's in the corner. And KD sees Royce was like, well, you didn't just take the three. And he looks him off and tries to force it into the corner. It's a turnover. And then the Nets get it back off a transition miss and Royce turns it over in the backcourt and Jalen Brown takes it in for a layup. And those are just the plays that were absolutely killer. And, you know, moving off of a play of two turnovers, I'm going to continue talking about the turnovers and the steals and transition offense was a big disparity that along with the three point line really decided this game. The Celtics had 11 steals to the Nets is six. They scored 26 fast break points to just 12 for Brooklyn and the transition disparity in this game it was glaring because the Nets had a lot of transition opportunities, especially in the first quarter and first half when they were on, they had that 11-2 open. Their Boston's transition defense was just phenomenal. And that's something that goes in with their length, their athleticism, and just their overall talent to be able to cover ground, to be able to get up, to be able to block shots. I and mean, we were seeing Jalen Brown swap people. We're seeing Jason Tatum swap people. Sam Hauser swatted TJ Warren. Just everybody across the board making these great transition plays. And then conversely, the Celtics are getting down and using that same athleticism to score themselves in transition off of these careless Nets turnovers. And I said it last episode that this is the problem with the Nets is their turnovers and not just the, they're, I think they're about 15th or 16th in the league of turnovers. So it's not awful. It's not good. Nowhere near good enough if you want to be a contending team, but it's the nature of these turnovers that's really killing the Nets. It's live ball turnovers. It's transition turnovers. It's careless turnovers that shouldn't happen A and B also give the other team these runouts and opportunities the score easy points. And if you're going to do that and then, you know, really just be incapable of converting on your own transition opportunities, it makes it really tough. So, you know, for a Nets team that really brought it defensively in this game, and I thought played a really solid game for the most part on that end, it's really tough that the supporting cast completely disappeared and that the theme of these continuous, careless live ball turnovers is just persisting. And it really killed them in a game where it seemed like they were hanging around and had an opportunity to really pressure the Celtics and maybe pick up a win against the best team in the league. I mean, the Nets, the theme of this game was every time the Nets cut it close, every time the Nets started to mount a run, get it to six points, then to four, got it to two in the fourth quarter, they gave it right back. They got it to two in the fourth quarter, and then Seth Curry gets blown by by Malcolm Brogdon, who kicks it across to the corner for an Al Horford three, five-point lead. Then KD gets it in the post. 
They're swarming him, you know, condensing the floor off those non-confident shooters. He gets stripped and it goes in for a layup right there, two points to seven points. And the Nets really never got a chance to be even close like that again. So that was the theme of this game. And, you know, going off of what I thought was the biggest aspect of this Nets, because the defense was there, as I said, the Nets offense faltering, like I said, was a product of Kyrie didn't have a great game or a good game by his standards. And then furthermore, and really I want to emphasize more is that supporting cast just not showing up from Royce O'Neal to Seth Curry and then relying on Cam Thomas. And the theme that I just want to harp on and I think was a big takeaway from this game is the undersized cards from the Nets. And it's something that we lived with in that first round sweep against Boston last year. This game was just a great example of why these undersized guards are not going to be able to survive in most playoff series and definitely against the Boston Celtics. Cam Thomas, you know, Seth Curry, as I touched on, and then Patty Mills, who didn't even play in this game, are three guys who are, you know, seen as, you know, battling for rotation spots, probably going to be two of those three in the rotation. They're not going to be able to play against Boston. I mean, just they're. First thing is they're hunted on defense, as I said with Seth Curry. Boston can get these switches. They can get these guys in the post. They're going to go at them relentlessly. And if you have somebody on the floor like that who is a liability come playoff time, it gives the offense an outlet and somewhere to go. It gives them, if they're struggling like they were tonight, Boston, okay, you got Cam Thomas out there. You have Seth Curry out there. You have Patty Mills out there. We're putting them in the pick and roll. We're hunting them. We're struggling late in the shot clock. Find those guys. Give whoever they're guarding the ball. Let them go to work. It gives them an easy out and something that you can't do. You can't give easy outs to an offense that is already performing at one of the best offensive rates in league history. And then offensively, as I said, these guys, Cam, Patty, Seth, they're going to have a much harder time getting shots off because they're not going to be able to generate anything in the mid-range or near the rim because they normally can, especially not against a rangy athletic defense like Boston. And they're going to have a difficult time even just getting their threes off and getting comfortable looks and looks in rhythm because of the nature of how much ground these guys can, how high their contests can get to a low release point. It just makes things really difficult. So it points to the need for bigger players and upgrades. And that's why I tweeted out during the game. And it really seems like these guys, Cam, Patty, Seth, I don't know if you know Joe Harris is somebody you need, but just there's going to be some sort of a package with the Nets to package some of these guys and try to upgrade along with draft picks. Because if the road in the Eastern Conference is going through Boston, as it completely appears to be right now, Milwaukee is getting Chris Middleton back. They're going to be in that conversation. But right now, the road in the Eastern Conference goes through TD Garden in Boston. And if that's the case, you can't have three, four undersized guards who are not playable in that series on the roster, eating up salary cap, eating up space. So logically, the Nets, I, I think it's going to happen probably around December 15th or January 15th near the deadline that they're going to have some sort of package using some of these guys along with draft picks to try to upgrade, whether that's a, a defensive point of attack guard who can also shoot a little bit or a wing and just a bigger body. They're going to need to get something in that area to throw at the Celtics. Really good game defensively, particularly had some great blocks along with Kevin Durant, who's been playing some great two-way basketball of late. KD has, I think, two or three really great blocks rotated from the weak side, but Claxton uh, nine points, four or five from the field, grabbed 14 rebounds, had two blocks. So a really good game from Claxton, something that's a little concerning. Boston went 
up by nine and I think 11 when Hacka collapsed in twice down the stretch with the Nets in the bonus. And Clax only hit one of four free throws. Obviously, we know what he did against Boston in that last uh, first round series with some historic struggles from the free throw line in that one. But that could be an issue down the line. But Clax, you know, going off the theme of looking for upgrades is another guy who, even though having a great season, could be looked at as a potential trade piece on a good value contract to find maybe a better fit because in these playoffs with Ben Simmons, you know, coming back into the Nets rotation, if they were to ever play against Boston, it's going to be really tough to play those two alongside each other, given what I just said about the spacing, about the offensive struggles, about KD and Kyrie needing more options who are, you know, quick release confident three-point shooters, guys who can space the floor and get some of those doubles and make Boston pay for it. It's going to be tough to play those two alongside one another. So Claxton could be somebody who is potentially moved down the line. But just looking at where the Nets stack up against this Boston team, they're not on that level yet. Boston, you know, put the clamps on them defensively. And Boston's missing Robert Williams and Marcus Smart, who are probably their two best defenders. So that's really scary to even think about. And the Celtics are only going to get better. I think the Nets are also going to get better. They're going to get guys healthy. They're going to build more continuity. And I think there's a few moves coming in the future to try to upgrade this team and really solidify some of these weaknesses that we see against a roster like the Celtics. So the Nets aren't there yet. We also got an update from Jock Vaughn on Ben Simmons because the Nets said that Simmons would be out for three games with that calf strain. Well, three games have passed. Uh, Vaughn said that he hasn't heard anything different about Simmons. He called it day by day. So I'll take that as day to day where the Nets have two days off now. He would not rule him out for Wednesday, just said that he didn't hear anything different. So it sounds like really, you know, his status will just be evaluated. It doesn't sound like as we expected anything that's, you know, a long term issue where he's going to miss a bunch more games. But status in question and potentially will be able to make it back for some of these games later on this week. So the Nets really need him back. The Nets really need Utah Watanabe back, who they said will miss a week. We didn't get an update on him, but hopefully he's back soon as well. And those are guys that are really going to come in handy against a Boston team that, as I said, has that length, has that athleticism. You need help rebounding. You need help defending on the perimeter. Those two guys are going to offer a lot. And with Simmons also going to offer some creation ability to take some pressure off of Kevin Durant, off of Kyrie Irving. I think that would have been really big, but that does it for this episode. Nets are now at 13 and 12, one game over 500. They're coming up to finish the seven game homestand with matchups with Charlotte and Atlanta, two games that hopefully they take before they hit the road. So they have a stretch of some very winnable games right now that they need to take advantage of and really create some cushion above 500 heading into those trades, as I said, or heading into those dates, December 15th and January 15th, where all of those players become available if Sean Marks is going to pull the trigger and invest more into this team. They really need to continue to show that they've done it. They've won seven of their last 10. They they were on a four-game win streak heading into this one. So they've done it, but they need to continue to do it and pick up some wins, take care of business against these bad teams and really start to beat and string together a few wins against these higher level teams to have confidence in that. But that does it. We'll be back after next game against Charlotte with more updates, news, analysis. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Schrader underscore for all that. All my articles coming out on clutchpoints.com, breaking down the roster, breaking down injuries, breaking down everything that I just talked about. So that does it for the Believe in Nets podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Eric Slater signing off, and I'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.